It turns out I have way less authority than I thought I did. So I'll be receiving ministry later on. Um, our speaker for this morning, I'm really, really excited about. Uh, Daniel Grothy, uh, we have a mutual friend in Pete Gregg, and so we were at something that Pete had organized. Maybe, oh, have you got my best side? Hang on. Uh, uh, that's not my best side. <laughs> Quiet in the cheap seats. Um, uh, when we met Daniel, we were like, oh my goodness, it would be amazing if we could get him to come to Scotland and uh, invest in our people. Uh, he is the Associate Senior Pastor at New Life Church in Colorado. Uh, they had a disappointing 25,000 people in church over Easter. So we'll be praying for them later on. Just They're obviously crushingly disappointed by that. Um, but uh, uh, Daniel is married, three children, one of whom is here this week, which we're really, really thr thrilled about. And uh, I would love it if you could give him an enormous welcome. Daniel, why don't you come? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I think I'm on. Yes. Scotland. Gosh. Wow. Scotland. Praise the Lord. Hey, I met Chuck and Taryn about a year and a half ago at Windsor in England, and uh, they sent me an email later saying, hey, would you come? And, and I, so I, I had a good feeling about them, but I reached out to my friend Pete Gregg, and I was like, you know, tell me about Chuck and, and Taryn. He goes, mate, <laughs> you must come. Uh, uh, they are the finest. They are the best. They are servants. They've been there 17 years in Aberdeen. They, you must. And so uh, your reputation here precedes you. Uh, can we give it up for Chuck and Taryn? And then I got to meet uh, John and Debbie last night at dinner, 23 years in Nottingham. Uh, spent time with Mr. Wimber, and, and I was thinking during worship, if John Wimber walked in, he would be so thankful. He'd be so proud. He'd be, he'd be praising the Lord for what God is doing here. And so uh, honor, blessing, I, I look up to you, uh, 59 and 57, I'm 36. If I could say in 21 or 23 years that I was where you were, serving the Lord faithfully, I would be thrilled. So well done, good and faithful. Give it up for John. And Debbie. And aren't you glad the devil didn't convince Taryn to be quiet? Uh, man, last night I was sitting in the back and I was jet lagging like crazy, but it didn't even matter. I mean, she was like a good fisherman dropping down a net and pulling stuff out of that story that I've never seen in my life. So anyway, you keep going. You got the goods. You got the goods. As I said, I'm married. My wife is Lisa. We've been married 14 years been living in Colorado Springs 14 years, and we have three kids. Our oldest, Lillian, is here. Lillian, would you stand up for just a minute? This is Lillian. Lillian Carol Grothy, uh, Lisa and I say she could run a small third world country. Uh, she's very sharp and articulate and sweet and a great piano player and a great football player, soccer, you know, not American football, uh, great soccer player. And she, we've got two boys, Wilson and Wakely, who are nine and seven, and they are so jealous that she's here. Uh, but anyway, um, can we pray? Why don't we quiet our hearts? 
And as Wimber taught us to pray, would you just begin to say, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Come Creator Spirit. Who hovered over the primordial waters. Brooding over the chaos. Come and brood over us today. And you are the God who speaks. Let there be. And there was. And Lord, you know every situation. You know every ache. You know every cry. You know every desire of every heart. You know every moment of elation and every joy. And so we pray, Lord, hover over us and speak into it today. We pray with the psalmist and I pray over you today. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, and he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. The Lord who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. And over you, brothers and sisters, I pray the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is the shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. The Lord will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. And so we pray, Spirit of the Lord, speak to us, challenge us, encourage us, strengthen us, reinvigorate us, make us your people for the world, we pray. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. amen. Start with the end in mind, right? Start with the end in mind. Stephen Covey said that. It's been said by countless people through the ages. But if you know where you want the story to go, think about yourself at, the, at 85, Lord willing. They give us those years. Where do you want to be? Where do you want to end up? What would you love to see in yourself at 85? Start with the end in mind and begin to work backwards to plan in that direction. The question is, what's the goal? And I'll just put a general goal in front of us that I think if all of us could say this would happen, we'd be happy. The goal is to show up at the end of our ministries and be fully human. Fully human, fully alive, tender-hearted, kind, relationally intact, and vibrantly in love with God. If we could get to 85 and be able to say that and to live that, we'd all be thankful. Paul came to the end of his story and he's getting ready to die. And you know, he writes that final letter to Timothy and he said, I fought the good fight, I've run the race. I've kept the faith, and now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord will grant to me on that day, but not only to me, but to all who long for his appearing. I have fought the good fight. I have run the race. I've kept the faith. It's time for me to die. Start with the end in mind and work backwards. I talk with a lot of pastors, and here's what I'm noticing that there's a, a, a lot of loneliness. There's a lot of 
faithfulness, yes, hard work and seriousness to the call of God, but talk to a lot of pastors who are lonely. Um, you know, our, our jobs are not harder than other people, but they are different. The call to pastoral ministry is different. It's not, it's not a better call. We're not better than mechanics. We're not better than cooks. We're not better than bankers. We're, it's, it's not that we're better. It's just that our call is different. Can we just name the difference today of the call to pastoral ministry? And, and the question is, how, how is the call different? We are in a unique position of receiving people's pain. Uh, we're in a unique position. When the bottom falls out, where do people go? They call out to the people in their church. We're in a unique position of pe receiving people's pain. Um, uh, the last couple weeks for me, we had five funerals in eight days. Um, uh, wild, wild crisis in people's lives, apart from the funerals. Um, and when that happens, whose phone rings? Our phones ring. Hey, could we meet? Could we talk? Could we come over? Could you come pray for us? Could you visit the hospital? Could you, pastor, brother and sister in Christ, we, the people in this room, the reality is the, the part of the call of God on our lives is to help carry one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We're, help, we're, we're called to be shepherds in the flock of God. And it doesn't have to be, but here's the warning today. Just, uh, I'm just going to start with the reality and then we'll, we'll, we'll ask the Lord to speak into it. It doesn't have to be, but it can be, if you're not careful, soul-destroying work. Receiving people's pain, if you don't process it to health, it can destroy you. So how do we stay tender? How do we show up at the end of our lives as wholesome folks? How do we carry the weight of pastoral ministry? How are we going to make it? I want to ask this question. I'll summarize it. Who takes care of the caregivers? Who takes care of the caregivers? I'll answer it simply uh, first by saying Jesus is going to take care of the caregivers. This is what he does. And I want to suggest to you already that Jesus has given us a gift, but we may be missing out on it if we're not careful. So look at Luke chapter 10, verse 1. This is a story all of you have read or heard or talked about a thousand times. It says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them out two by two. Everyone say two by two. He sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And then you skip down to verse 17. It says, the 72 returned with joy. Everyone say, returned with joy. He sent them out two by two ahead of them, and they returned with joy. Now, I told you I have three kids, and any of you who've been around kids uh, realize that, that, that why Jesus called us to be like them. Right, Mark chapter 10, in five, five times in three verses, Jesus talks about the children, the children, the children, the children, the children. Let them come to me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Like, hey, look at the kids and do that. Because they're on to something that if you miss out on that, you miss out on the whole life of the kingdom of God. The kids, the kids, the kids, the kids, the kids, Jesus says in Mark chapter 10. I, 
I have three kids, and my kids are always talking about their friends. Almost every paragraph that comes out of their mouth, they're talking about their friends. It's just what, oh, and Braylon did this, and and -and so-and-so said that, and when I was at soccer with this person, and when we were playing on the playground with that person, and then I went to church, and I saw these people, and this this, this, is the people, 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 their friends. They're talking about their friends. Every conversation. And have you ever been to a playground, and you watch kids play? They show up with total strangers, and they tickle each other. (laughs) And they wrestle. And they play tag, and they automatically form teams. And, they, and they're looking at each other, total strangers. They've never met these people in their lives, and instantly there's a connection. Have you ever seen that? Imagine if you got on the train today and you started tickling someone. They would arrest you. <laughs> they send people to jail for stuff like that. We get on trains, we adults, and we do this. Or worse, we do this. And we, it's totally silent and we ignore the people around us, right? Kids don't do that. Because something in them innately, the kingdom of God in them says, wait, there's a gift right here and I got to discover it. I got to mine it out. Got to receive the gift. He sent them out two by two ahead of him and they returned with joy. There's friendship in the kingdom of God. Something in children longs for and understands the deep necessity of friendship. I wonder why kids always talk about and long for friends, and I think the secret can be found in the very life of God himself. Now pay attention to this detail. The doctrine of the Trinity shows us that God is not just friendly. God exists as friendship. This is not some theological detail. This is This is deeply embedded into the way the world works. God is not just friendly. He exists as friendship. You say, how is that so? God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Which is to say that always and from of old, from eternity past, before God said, let there be and there was, if that was this moment on the, on the chronology of God's creation, before that moment, let there be, God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and he will be to come, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do you know what the Father has always been saying over the Son? This is my Son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. Look at me, son. This is my boy. I can imagine the father taking the son by the face and saying, this is my daughter, my son, whom I love. In him I am well pleased. (laughs) Do you know that before God ever said, let there be and there was, there was friendship? Do you know what the son has been saying to the father from of old? Into your hands I commit my spirit. I only want to say what I hear you saying, and I only want to do what I see you doing. And into your hands I commit my spirit. The the son giving himself over to the father from of old. The father saying to the son, this is my boy. And theologians talk about the Holy Spirit as the spirit of love shared between the Father and the Son that goes out into the world. Think of a lasso. Like the the Spirit is God's lasso, the love of the Father and the Son that pulls creation up into the exchange that is Father and Son love. Perfect, unbroken communion. God is communion. God is deep friendship. 
God is intimacy. God is eye contact. God is seeing the other and blessing the other and naming the other and raising the other up. And God is that mutual submission back and forth between Father, Son, which is the Spirit's call into God's love. Can we say amen today? God is not just friendly. He is friendship. And creation, we are here as a result of that. Creation is seen as the result of God's friendship. It's the spilling over of God's love. God had to say, let there be, because what? Love is generative. Love creates. Love goes beyond itself. It spills over its borders, which means that a longing for friendship is hardwired into humanity. If God exists as friendship, a longing for friendship is hardwired into humanity. If kids talk about friends and family and their people all the time, I'm going to sort of contrast it with us adults. We adults, we talk about projects. We talk about responsibilities. We talk about assignments. We talk about deadlines. We talk about budgets. We have to, right? But kids talk about friends, people, 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 and then I made eye contact with that person, and then I played with that person, and then we played tag, and then we climbed the slide, and we went down, and we did all these fun things, people, people. We adults, as we get older, as we lose touch with that reality of the kingdom of God, very often our focus becomes projects and assignments and duties and deadlines. And we wonder why it's easy to look up and to be tired and weary and exhausted because we've lost touch with the gift of friendship. We get so serious. This was the disciples in Mark chapter 10 when Jesus said, the children, the children, the children, the children, the children. What were the disciples doing? They were saying, shut up. Get the kids out of here. They're having too much fun. We got projects to do and assignments and budgets to Jesus. If I could just get five minutes for you to look through the budget. You see the disciples, the kids are playing. They're alive. The kingdom is spilling out because God is good. And the disciples are, get your kids under control. Right? You're meant to see this contrast of what happens when you're like a child and what happens when you lose your childlikeness. Jesus said, let the little children come unto me. Come here. Settle down, everyone. Enjoy the gift. God is good. Let's party. Let's play. And he blesses them and touches them and says, become like them. Jesus invites us all to become childlike again. So today I want to address you and me about friendship. One of the most beautifully provocative stories in the Old Testament is David and Jonathan and 1 Samuel 18 and 19 and 20. Three times it says that, and, and Jonathan loved David as his own soul. David loved Jonathan as his own soul. We all know Ecclesiastes 4, two are better than one, but very often we turn that into some sort of little marital anecdote. You know, you should get married, you know, two are better than one. That's fine. I'm married. I love it. I agree. But like that's, throw, that, throw the doors open on that. Two are better than one. 
Do you understand the friendship that God is? <laughs> Do you understand the gift that he's calling us into? This is the way the world has been constituted. It's not that God is just saying, hey, you should have friends. He's saying the world is knit together in friendship. Are you in sync with that? Two are better than one. And in fact, we open this, the book of Genesis in the Genesis chapter two. You see the story of God creating. It's beautiful. And God said, let there be. And he saw that it was good. And he saw that it was good. And he saw that it was good. Seven times. Tov meod. He saw that it was good. And then we find the first problem in creation. It is not good that man should be alone. Friendship. God is here to heal us with friendship. The first problem in creation, the story, was loneliness. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer asked the question, or said the statement, it is not simply to be taken for granted that the Christian has the privilege of living among other Christians. It's not to be taken for granted. Like, I just say, look around. Do you see the gift right here? that there's friendship. Do you know that what we have right in front of us? And friendships become sort of a vehicle that take you into your future, a vehicle that takes you into your future. One of my favorite pictures of this is the Inklings. Anyone ever been down to the Eagle and Child in Oxford? C.S. Lewis and Tolkien and Charles Williams. Every Tuesday morning for 20 years, they got together. Every Tuesday morning. And they'd read each other their writings. And, hey, I got this idea. It's called the Lord of the Rings. What do you think? And they go, oh, it stinks. It's terrible. No one will ever read that. Hey, let me tell you about Narnia. And let me tell you about the chest. And you just step in and you go into this. Ah, and they would sharpen each other. And they would pray for each other. And they would drink beer. And they would laugh. And they would go on walks around the campus. And they would pray together. And they would, they would challenge 20 years of deep friendship, and the world has been made better because of it. Everyone in this room has been touched by that friendship. But how do we do this? Okay, friendship, God is friendship, great. I appreciate that, yeah, I know I should do better. How do we do this? Let's talk about how this gets worked into our lives. The University of Kansas did a study several years ago on friendship. And essentially, uh, they said that 40 to 60 hours, it takes 40 to 60 hours to make a casual friendship. 40 to 60 hours together. But it's not work hours. Here's what the, here's what the study showed us. The study showed us that leisure was crucial. Leisure time. Not, we spent 40 to 60 hours working on our projects together. But we've spent 40 to 60 hours in close proximity where we have opportunity for conversation to unfold, where we maybe play some golf together, where we maybe go on a walk together, where we talk and read a book together, where we share our hearts together. 40 to 60 hours to create a casual friend, 80 to 100 hours to become, okay, yes, a nice friend. And then 200 hours or more to become, become a close, deeply knit friend. 200 hours. Wow. But these can't be just any hours. They have to be leisure hours. And I, I discovered, it was funny, seven years ago at our church, every seven years you get a, a sabbatical. 
And so I just finished my 14th year, and I'm about to go on my second sabbatical this summer with the family, and I cannot wait. But seven years ago, after my first sabbatical, or during my first sabbatical, we had little kids. And, you know, sabbatical takes about two weeks to get the adrenaline of pastoral ministry out of your system, right? You're just going. (laughs) Takes about two weeks to go, there I am. And there's my own thoughts. Um, So about two, three, four weeks in, it was a six-week sabbatical. I started realizing something with my time, like, what am I going to do? Because what I discovered was all of my ratios were off. About 90% of my time I was spending with people who would contact me. Pastor, we're in need. Pastor, we're in crisis. Pastor, can you come to the hospital? Pastor, can you do our premarital counseling? Pastor, can you pray for our kids because they're a mess? Pastor, and, and, I, and you just respond, right? You just, well, the, the need is there and the email is sent, sure. And about 10% of my time was being spent with people who were investing in me and it was mutual. It was friendship. There was kindness. There was, hey, how are you doing? Because over here, when people are in crisis, they, can't, they don't really have the ability to say, how are you doing? The playing field doesn't seem to be level, right? So I realized in my sabbatical, it was about 90% me just responding to stuff and 10% me being filled up. And what the Lord showed me was that I needed to get my ratios better, where there was mutuality. There were people who were strengthening me people who had something to offer me as well as, uh, as me offer them. And so what I did was I went to my friends when I got back after my six-week sabbatical. I had four guys. And I've known these guys for a long time. At, now I've, I've known them for 20 years. So I've known them for 13 years then. And I went to those guys and I said, guys, here's the vision I have of being an old man. I said, I want to be an 85-year-old guy who's had deep-rooted friendships. And I want to get to the end, and I want to be joyful, and I want to be kind, and I want to be relationally intact, and I want to be tender-hearted. I want to be childlike when I'm 85. And I want to get to the end of my ministry, and I want to be vitally alive in, in friendship with God. And I want to be the old man. Here's what I said. I said, I have this vision of me sitting around in a cafe with a bunch of old men, and I've been sitting with those men for 50 years. And I said, if I get to 85 and I don't have that happen, I'm going to be very mad at myself and I'm going to be mad at you. (laughs) So what are we going to do? We're friends. We've been friends for 13 years at the time. Now we've been friends for 20 years. But typically, you know what we do with our friends? We see them and we go, oh, we should get together. Oh, we go to a holiday party, Christmas party. We, oh, it's so good to be with you. Let's, let's catch up sometime. And then we leave. And then we come to the holiday party next year and we go, whoa, we should catch up sometime. And we don't. That's typically what we do. So I, I provoked my friends. And I said, what are we going to do so that we can get there at 85 and be able to say we've got 50 years of sitting around a dining room table together laughing and telling stories, and we show up at the end wholesome and strong together. And so what we did is we got out our calendars, and we said we're going to block, and here's, here's, here's what I'm throwing out to you today to provoke you. We're going to block four times a year. Quarterly, we're going to get together, and we're going to block the whole day. 
and we're going to see each other. We're not going to say yes to anything else. So I said, get your calendars out. Because all of, most of this just comes down to calendaring. Get your diary, your diary out, your diary. <laughs> and we found our first date. Okay, two and a half months from now, we're going away. We're going to a little Catholic retreat center because they've got quiet grounds. And we got together and we talked and we prayed and we cried and we laughed and we shared food together. And so, uh, in the afternoon, after we got sort of the adrenaline out of our systems, about two in the afternoon, my friend said, hey guys, can I share something? And he starts peeling open his heart. And he breaks. And he weeps. And he invites us in. His mom was dying of cancer. And, we, and I said to him, there was a couch in the room, I said, go lay down. And he laid down on the couch. And when he laid down on the couch, it was like this statement of, I don't have to be strong anymore. I got my friends here. I'm in the presence of God and my friends are here. And he lays down on the couch and he just guttural, sobbing. And the four of us gather around this guy and we're down on our knees and we're laying hands on his stomach and we're laying hands on his head and we're crying out, we're speaking in tongues. And, we're, and the Holy Spirit comes and about an hour and a half later, we look up and we said, amen. And he looked at us and we looked at him and it was like we were saying, what just happened there? Like we were made for that. And how often we just, we all need that and we race past it. And we keep going in the name of Jesus and we got to keep serving and we got to help people and we got to balance the budgets and we got projects and we keep, and, and, and something in us is going, please, please. But we don't make space for it. And so at the end of that day, we got out our calendars and we said, three months from now, when can we do it? And we all picked a day and we said, don't you dare book something else on that day. If the White House calls and says, says they need you on that day, you tell them you can't. Especially now, tell them you can't. <laughs> Jesus, help us, Lord. I'm just here to say, forgive us. Anyway, that's a different story. And we've been meeting now for seven years. And I'm telling you, after seven years, we can look back at every single moment. Seven years, four times a year, 24 different times, 28 different times we've met. And at every single time along the way, at least one of us, usually two of us, in a full day, the Holy Spirit cracks something open in us and we surround each other and we bless each other and we minister to each other. And we all say to each other, we've got a text thread going and we're always updating each other. And we always say to each other, this is like the, besides our families, this is the greatest gift we could have. Because there's friendship. And because we're addressing our souls. Because we're living in honesty before one another. Do you know that good friends can call your bluff? Good friends. Do you have anyone in your life who can tell you no? Do you have anyone in your life who goes, I don't believe you when you say that? Because typically when we get together, we start at 8 a.m. And about 9.30, we're able to go, yeah, you're not telling me everything. It usually takes about 90 minutes to settle into honesty and friendship 
and the gift. And I'm here, I'm here today to just call you to a renewal of friendship. The great, we, we sense the urgency. Chuck and I talked on a Zoom call six weeks ago as we were planning for this. And, and he was talking about the urgency of the call here in Scotland. Like the kingdom of God, it's, it must go forward. And we've got to be serious about this. And all of us in this room, you've blocked time and you've gotten, some of you have gotten grandparents to come watch your kids and you've, you've spent money to be here. Like you care, you're in the game. There is a sense of urgency. And mixed with that sense of urgency, you want to have a healthy and sustainable way of life. You want to be able to show up at 85 and be able to say with Paul, I fought the good fight, I've run the race, I've kept the faith, praise the Lord. And so I want to suggest to you that Luke chapter 10 verse 1 thing is absolutely crucial. And Jesus sent them out ahead of him two by two and they returned with joy. It can be both. You can live the kingdom of God. You can tell the story. You can provoke people. You can call a nation to repentance. You can serve the church. You can bless the elderly. You can do all of that and return with joy. And the way that it'll happen is you're living in that two by two kind of back and forth that Jesus sent us out together two by two. So today, it's a call to friendship. It's a call to what do you need to do? I heard a, a guy say, we don't rise to the level of our goals. We fall to the level of our systems. Think about that. We all would say, I want deep friendship. I want yes, yes to that. We don't rise to the level of our goals. Have you gotten out your diary and booked it? Have you created systems that will lead to friendship? Have you identified people and looked them in the eye and given them the invitation to speak into your life? We don't rise to the level of our goals. We fall to the level of our systems. And I had those friends in my life seven years ago, but we didn't have anything going. We had fallen to the level of our systems. And so we booked it. And now we'd say after seven years that this is the greatest gift that God has given us in our lives besides our families, the gift of deep friendship. So my call to you today in this first session is how are you doing with your friendships? How are you doing with people being able to speak into your lives? How are you doing with inviting people to look you in the eyes and encourage you and challenge you and bless you? Are you thinking about the 85-year-old you? Have you started with the end in mind and have you began to, to plan so that you'll get to that place in good health and in good vitality uh, today is a, a day where you can start jotting some notes about who you want to contact, about what systems you want to create so that this incredible loneliness doesn't overtake us. Jesus needs us well, people. Jesus needs us in good friendship. Jesus needs us to be childlike, and to be childlike is to be friendly. And so would you just begin to ask the Lord, let's quiet our hearts together. I'll pray for us here in just a minute, but... Ask the Lord what he wants you to tweak today, what he wants you to change today, <clears throat> what systems he might have you put in place today to receive the gift of friendship. Maybe it starts with you just addressing the ache. Maybe it starts with you just naming the longing, the longing for friendship. 
longing to not just be a cog in the world's wheel, but to be seen, to be identified, to be loved. The Lord would say to you today, well done, you have loved, you have served, you have blessed, you have poured yourself out, you have carried one another's burdens and so fulfilled the law of Christ, well done. And you don't have to be lonely. You don't just have to pour yourself out without being refilled. There is friendship for you if God is friendship. There is childlikeness for you again. And so, Lord, I'm praying for my brothers and sisters today. If you're with a spouse, would you grab their hand? If you're with a coworker that someone, a dear friend, maybe put your hand on their shoulder. Or... I pray today for my brothers and sisters, Lord, that you would answer the cry of their heart. Answer the cry of their heart. Answer the cry of their heart. Address the ache. Bind up their wounds, Lord. I can see a vision of all of you in your own ways running around and taking care of people. Feeding God's sheep. Shepherding the flock, giving of yourself, sleepless nights, tears cried, pouring yourself out. I can see that. That's real about this group. And Lord, I pray that you would answer their cry, that you would bind up their wounds, that you would heal their hearts, that you would visit them in the night. I pray that you would care for the caregivers, Lord. Some of you, I just sense some of you are so backed up emotionally, you haven't cried healthy, holy tears in a long time. And today I just see the Spirit of the Lord clearing up that bottleneck, letting that flow open. Heal their hearts, Lord. Proverbs 11.25, the one who refreshes others will himself, will herself be refreshed. Refresh them, Lord. Every person in this room, refresh them. Refresh them. Deep drink of life-giving water. And make it so they can come to the end of their lives and say with Paul, I have fought the good fight. I have run the race. I have kept the faith. So, Lord, I pray this morning, bless them and keep them. Make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. Lord, lift your countenance upon them today and grant them peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. amen.